2 Kings 5, 1 through 14. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man and in high favor with his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man, though a mighty warrior, suffered from leprosy. Now the Arameans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, If only my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his lord just what the girl from the Lord of Israel had said. And the king of Aram said, Go then, and I will send along a letter to the king of Israel. He went, taking within ten talents of silver, six thousand skeletons of gold, and ten sets of garments. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you my servant Naaman, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to give death or life, that this man sends word to me to cure a man with leprosy? Just look and see how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may learn that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and halted at the entrance of Elijah's house. Elijah sent a messenger to him, saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the leprosy. Are not the Abana and Fofar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? He turned and went away in a rage. But his servants approached and said him to him, Father, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, would you not have done it then? How much more when all he said to you was, Wash and be clean? So he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored, like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a little eight-year-old girl, Tandui Chama, from Zambia. And she showed up to school one day at eight. And the school was closed. You see, her teacher had died of AIDS, and that was the last teacher of the school. 
So instead of finding more teachers, they just closed the school. Tandui wasn't happy with this outcome. She was so unhappy, in fact, she went and gathered 60 of her classmates, and she said, let's march to the next school over and see if they'll let us attend there. So she gathered them up, and they marched. Now, it wasn't close. It was a long walk. But they showed up. Can you imagine, teachers? (laughs) 60 people, 60 class, 60 students showing up on your doorstep, begging to come to school. Every single one of them was allowed to attend school. So she marched her 60 classmates to school every day so they could go to school. People started paying attention. They started noticing what she was doing. Internationally, people started paying attention. She started getting awards, and those awards came with money, so she started putting roofs on the schools that she attended. Because can you imagine in Zambia going to school without a roof? It's a little hot. There's a little bit of sun. So she kept increasing the attention of education in Zambia. And she also started making people pay attention to the fact that nobody was talking about the AIDS epidemic. And nobody was talking to the children about it. And she started rattling the cages of the churches and making them pay attention. Because churches don't like to talk about things that make us uncomfortable. And so she started making them uncomfortable. And she started making them talk about it in schools. And she wrote a book, a children's book, about AIDS and how to stay safe. And how you can stay safe from AIDS as a child. And she started winning more awards. And she created a foundation. An eight-year-old started making a difference in the world. Because people started listening to an eight-year-old. And started... She started changing things in Zambia. Well, in our scripture today, we have a small girl, a servant, who was kidnapped from her place of origin, Israel. And she went to work for this guy's wife, this guy named Naaman. And so Naaman came down with an ailment called leprosy, and we still have that today, except we know it's curable with antibiotics. But in biblical times, that wasn't a thing, antibiotics. And so when Naaman had leprosy, I can only imagine his wife probably was a little worried. So her servant girl probably heard about all of her concerns Don't you think? Because if Naaman's leprosy progressed, which it would because it's not curable, that means Naaman's going to get kicked out of polite society. And if Naaman gets kicked out of polite society, Naaman's wife has no one to take care of her. So she goes with him. And Naaman's wife's children 
You see what I'm saying. We have a problem here, right? Leprosy didn't just affect Naaman. It affected the whole family. And not only that, it, you know, it could affect their whole entire social unit, which infect, infected, would affect the servant girl as well. So, yes, some people have speculated that the servant girl was incredibly generous, but at the same time, the servant girl probably needed a roof over her head and food to eat too, so it wasn't her best interest to get name and cured. But the servant girl remembered something from way back. There was a guy named Elisha, and he did miraculous things. And so she thought, maybe he would help this guy, my boss, Naaman. So she spoke up. She mentions it to the boss's wife. Hey, Elisha, the guy back in Israel, maybe he can help us out. Maybe this time it will be different. Maybe we can cure this thing so we're not all out on the streets. Maybe, maybe. But it did take a lot of daring because what if Naaman wasn't cured? What if it didn't go away? Hmm. What if? What if? So we hear about the story. We hear Naaman got everything together. He took off with the letter of recommendation to the king. And the king of Israel got a little bit worried because he thought, Oh, this is a lot riding on Elisha's shoulders. What if Elisha doesn't cure this guy? We're going to start war. There's a lot riding on Elisha curing Naaman. And what does Elisha do? He sends out another servant. He sends out another messenger, another servant, and he says, Go just take a bath seven times in the Jordan River It'll be fine. And Naaman's not having it. Naaman throws a fit. I almost see in my mind a three-year-old throwing themselves on the ground, kicking and screaming, saying, seriously, pay attention to me. I came all this way. I've got the money. I've got the power. Pay attention to me. That's not what I was looking for. And once again, the servants intervene. Naaman's servants this time. Saying, Master, master, come on. This is our chance. If he told you to do something much more dangerous, much more crazy, you would have done it. This is simple. This is easy. What's it going to hurt? Let's just go take a bath in the muddy river. It's going to be okay. So we see in our story three times servants have jumped in and intervened or done something to help the powerful make it through. We see the servant girl in Naaman's, of Naaman's wife. We see the messenger of Elisha. And we see Naaman's servants. All three are the kind of protagonists of our story. They're the ones that help us move the story along. Because otherwise, we would just get stuck. If Naaman's a wife's servant hadn't suggested she go, that Naaman go to Elisha, he would just have died of leprosy. If 
if uh, Elisha's messenger had said, yeah, I'm not comfortable going out to see Naaman, then the message wouldn't have happened. Elisha would have just, well, maybe Elisha would have gone. We don't know. And if Naaman's servants hadn't talked him into going, well, he probably would still be there throwing a fit outside of Elisha's house. We see the not-so-powerful helping along those who have the power. People who typically don't have a voice being daring, being brave, making their voices heard, even though there were consequences if, they, if it hadn't worked. Any one of them could have easily been killed if Naaman hadn't been cured. He could have taken out his rage on any of them. If any of them had spoken up and Naaman had just decided to take care of them, no, there would not have been consequences for Naaman. But they all took a chance. They all took a risk. They all thought it worth the risk to speak up and have a voice. The same is true for, for Miss Chama. She was an eight-year-old in a place that didn't really value eight-year-old girl voices quite the same as they value other voices. Now, maybe her life wasn't in risk quite the same as the servants in our story, but her voice wasn't valued the same. But she was determined, and she made it her life's work. Well, I mean, she's 23, so she still has a lot of life left to live. But she's been determined to push education for all children, to make sure that people have books, to make sure that people are able to read in her country. She didn't just run off, get education, and not go back home. She's made sure that everyone has an education back home. That's something that she valued and has taken to heart. She chose to have a voice when she could have just gone back home. And I was watching an interview of her, and she said it was important of her not to just do what everyone else is doing, but to make sure that she stays uncomfortable, to make sure she doesn't ever become comfortable in her life, but she's always pushing herself to stay outside of her comfort zone. She shared her faith and her belief in education. The young people in our story shared their faith and belief in Elisha's ability to cure Naaman. So what is your faith and belief? Now, we all, I would assume since we're gathered in this place, believe in some basic tenets like We believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and some other things we would all agree on. But I'm talking about what's that thing that wakes you up in the morning? What's that thing that drives you? For some of you, that may be gardening. For some of you, that may be education. When I was 11, I wanted to be an astronaut. So still to this day, when I look up in the sky, I wish I could go to space. 
but that dream is gone. Math and I are not as good of friends as it needs, I need to be to be an astronaut. But what is that thing that pushes you? What is that thing that you passionately share and your drive and your drive is for? I want to encourage you to remember back when you were a child. Remember back to when you had that fire in your belly that you wanted to be and do. What is it that you told everyone you wanted to be when you grew up? Now, if you were like me and you wanted to be an astronaut and that ship has sailed or that space shuttle has flown off, what is that other thing that you're passionate about? Find that fire. Share that faith with others. Because I have a feeling that when you find that fire in your belly, when you find that thing, whether it's sharing the good news of Elisha's ability to heal or it's the passion of getting education to all the children in Zambia or if it's sharing books or if it's helping kids to read or if it's making sure that everyone has school supplies, I don't know, what's your fire? What's fueling you? But the Holy Spirit can take that fire in your belly and help you share that passion with the world. Because you are uniquely gifted and that fire is a gift that you've been given by God. And when we listen to that gift that we've been given by the Holy Spirit, when we listen to that silliness that we had as a child, when we listen to the faith we had as a youth, we stop listening to the logic and the reason and all the things that make us so smart. Not that those aren't important. Our prefrontal cortex is an important part of our development. But we also need to listen to the gift that we were given when we were young. The passion. The joy. The fire. So I encourage you as you go through the next few weeks to think back. Pull out your old photo albums. Look back on when you were young. Ponder those times when you remember the joy. Find your fire and pray. God, how do I use this fire today? Maybe it's reading to kids in the library because you always wanted to be an elementary school teacher. Maybe it's uh, finding an art project that you can share with kids downtown. Maybe it's helping people in a nursing home learn how to crochet. I don't know. I don't know you and I don't know your passions. 
But I just want to encourage you to pray throughout this week and find what brings you joy and pray that the Holy Spirit helps you align that. And listen. Listen to the passion of your youth. And also as we listen to our youth and what they have to say to us, may we have new ears to hear the Holy Spirit's listening, the Holy Spirit's whisperings in our ears. So may it be so for all of us, not just this week, but as we head into the future together. Amen.